Welcome to Talk of the Town, a podcast by the Town FC, where we have candid conversations with Bay Area athletes, sports influencers, and individuals pushing the game forward. I'm your host, L. Johnson. This week, we sat down with Brandon Gishard. Brandon is a former D1 soccer player turned marketing exec and member of the town council. We'll be getting to know all about Brandon, his background, and what he's planning to bring to the Town SC. Tune in. Brandon, how you doing today? Good, man. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, appreciate you having coming on, man. Um, really excited to talk to you. Really excited to kind of selfishly soak up some game from you from the marketing perspective. Um, <laughs> so let's let's jump right into it. Um, you know, tell us about your background, where you're from, um, and you know how you fell in love with soccer. Yeah, for sure. So I was uh, born in Brooklyn, and then uh, my family moved out to the suburbs of New York uh, when I was seven. So pretty much as soon as I moved out to the suburbs, I started playing soccer. Uh, started, you know, the rec leagues, the AYSO leagues, and then ended up joining uh, our town club travel team um, in third grade. And before I knew it, we were traveling the world, traveling the country, uh, playing all over the place. Uh, and we happened to be one of the most diverse teams that we were on the field with. Uh, some of our, our opponents were a little bit less diverse coming from New York. So it was great to just experience the world with a bunch of different people, different guys from different backgrounds and nationalities, um, just playing soccer. So uh, in high school, ended up doing the travel thing full time. I was a three sport athlete between baseball, basketball and soccer. But really in high school, kind of decided to make the move uh, just to, to soccer while still playing a little bit of basketball on the side in the offseason to keep in shape. But we ended up traveling to tournaments in Denmark and Finland and the Netherlands um, all before going to college, which was great, great exposure, great experience, and then ended up getting recruited to play soccer at UConn. Um, so just up the road uh, from where I grew up, about two hours away. Um, and UConn was an amazing experience. I mean, between between us, to be quite candid, I didn't play all that much, but that's because I was playing behind a bunch of guys that ended up going pro. But I think for me, you know, being the the top guy on your, your high school team or, or your club team, uh, in your hometown and then coming to a place like UConn where we were ranked, you know, regularly in the top five to 10 in the country was an adjustment period for me, um, you know, playing with guys that were years older from different countries um, and playing with guys from bigger clubs or in the ODP system and all that stuff. It was just a great way for me to get a competition level that I wasn't accustomed to. And it was really kind of run like a professional team. So if guys weren't in form, they weren't guaranteed to get a, a starting spot and they had to work their way back up to the first team and pretty much every day you had to fight for your job and make sure that whatever happened at school or at some of the jobs you were working that you had to come ready to play every day which was a really good way for me to get accustomed to what the real world was going to be um, and we definitely weren't coddled I'd say playing D1 soccer was one of the things that in me for my for my perspective was a, a really important part of my business career um, we got exposure to a lot of things like traveling around the country again we got a chance to go to Bayern Munich and train and play at their facility uh, you know we traveled to Austria and played a second or third division team we played the Chinese uh, I think it was at the time U20 national team so got a lot of great exposure there we ended up playing pro teams in the spring in our off season 
So I got a chance to, to you know, play the New England Revolution and Taylor Twelman when he was there, um, and a, a chance to play against on the field with a bunch of pro teams, which was awesome. So uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world, even though I got probably uh, the least amount of playing time I thought uh, I ever would, but uh, loved it. Loved every second of it. Let's unpack that a little bit. You had a a really strong, um, I would call it a strong soccer background, like, you know, traveling across the world, even from like a youth level and club level. Um, How do those things, those experiences, you kind of touched on a a tad bit, but how do those experiences kind of shape you as a person, you know, having playing at an elite level, um, you know, being responsible for being out the country and, you know, having to conduct yourself in a professional manner. Um, what are some values or some some tips that you picked up um, during those experiences? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I would say, how many parents would trust their you know thirteen to sixteen year old sons to travel across the pond to places like Denmark and Finland uh, with very little parental supervision and to right. go play soccer for days on end? I mean, uh, one that's just a testament to you know my parents trusting me. Uh, two, to everyone on the team, we we were pretty well behaved, all things considered, I'd say. But we were playing against kids that had pro contracts when we were just trying to get through, you know, the day-to-day grind of high school. So for me, it was eye-opening to know that there was a whole business side of, of football in other places other than America, because this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And these kids were already signed. They were already making money. They were already doing what they love to do. Um, and for me, that was just more motivation to kind of get on my grind and be the best that I could be on the field, uh, knowing that it could potentially pay off later on in life for things off the field as well. So one, it was just building the team around you, making sure that you trusted the guy next to you, making sure you understood what what they were good at, what they weren't so good at, right? Um, and making sure that you built uh, the camaraderie and traveling all these places to, to experience different cultures, different worlds and different styles of play um, and be adaptable to everything that you encounter. Yeah, for sure. So you talked about your business, um, your, your soccer experience being very similar to business, um, very, very much a business-like environment, especially at UConn. It was kind of run like a professional team. Um, and you also alluded that it kind of helped you in your transition over to the corporate world. So talk about that transition a little bit and, you know, talk about how your experience playing sports kind of helped you navigate the corporate space. Yeah. I mean, my uh, professional soccer teams were, were dashed pretty quickly after, after uh, coming to UConn, knowing that I probably wasn't going to be at the level of most of my teammates were, uh, who were ending up getting pro contracts were, which were still pretty uncommon, uh, you know, 15, 20 years back in the day uh, as they are now. Uh, so for me, it was an understanding that, you know, you had to come, you had to come prepared, but if you weren't at the top of your game every day, that that was okay and that you could still contribute to the team. Uh, so for me, that, that was super important, one. And then two, just the professionalism of honing your craft every day, whether you're going to see the field or not, and then making sure that you set your teammates up for success who were going to see the field, that you gave them all you had so that they were well prepared for the game and the, the competition, right? Because they weren't going to show any mercy. So for me, that that was one, super, super humbling. Um, and two, really enlightening that, you know, I could be a leader, even though I wasn't on the field or starting every game, that I could still help lead the team in other ways. I think for me, that was 
eye-opening having been, you know, the captain of their team or consistent starter uh, before throughout my whole career, but really coming into UConn and getting somewhat humbled, but still being able to compete at a really, really high level um, and expected to on a day-to-day basis. No, most definitely is is very important, like the values that you learn when you're not up front. You know what I mean? The kind of the uh the mental fortitude that that you have to kind of build for yourself, um, to kind of lead from the back, almost so to speak, right? Um yeah. and that's that comes in handy when you're working at, you know, large companies, large brands. Um and you spent some time at some large companies as well, ranging from Nike to Coach to Meta. Um which are all kind of big machines um, when it comes to like the way that they market, the way that they, the volume of uh, business that they do. Right. Um, So how do companies like that maintain personal touches in their marketing? So kind of getting into your, your marketing room um, as a professional. Yeah. I think for, for me, the thing that was uh, really incredible to see was, was working at Nike. So obviously being a sports fan, following Nike from a very young age, Everything that they put out there, it seemed like in the early 90s, early 2000s, I was just eating up and I just wanted to find a way to, to somehow get there. Um, I found my way through a, a really weird avenue of working at Coach and then having and honing some skills there and then being picked up by Nike just in seeing that what, they, what I was doing at Coach. Uh, you know, the recruitment team at Nike then thought I'd be a good fit. So it was really honing my craft at Coach that allowed me to get to Nike, even though I had, had been applying to Nike ever since I graduated school, it was actually going somewhere where I thought I would never be able to get to Nike that actually got me there. Um, At Nike, they talk about the matrix all the time. And that's basically, you have to pass all of your marketing and creative work through probably what feels like most times 10 to 15 different teams, just for it to pass everyone's eyeballs, to make it check out that it's been looked at from every possible angle, so that when it does get to the masses, it feels as we all expect it to, to feel and, and how we expect it to see. Uh, so how do you add personal touches to that? You make every story personal. You make it relatable. You add in tidbits that either yourself or people on your team know that they can gravitate to um, and that you make it as authentic as possible. And it's easy to say that. It's a lot harder to do. But how do you add your own personal experiences into the the work, the marketing that you do so that it truly does feel like something. If, if my friends or family were to see, you know, a marketing piece, they would say, Oh yeah, that's, that's definitely Brandon. Uh, that, that vibes with, with him. Um, I think that's, that's a really important part. So how do you bring in your either personal or shared experiences with others into the marketing that you're doing? The more and more you do that, the more it feels authentic, the more it resonates with your, with your ultimate end consumer. Nice, nice, and kind of. I'm, I'm going to put my my uh, town yeah. FC hat on right now. Um, Go so for thinking it. about this from the perspective of a sports team, right? They can kind of function similar to these big brand machines as well at times. Um, yeah. For a new team, what are some things they can do to to kind of form and forge those personal relationships with a growing fan base? Yeah, I think the really exciting, interesting thing about the town FC is is you get to start from scratch, right? There is no draw. There is no personal connection to the team because the team hasn't existed. Right. You don't have a favorite player. You don't have a favorite 
campaign, you don't have a favorite season or favorite game. So what is the thing that's going to draw you to the town FC? And it starts with the community, right? It starts with what makes it that team, the town FC, really authentic to Oakland, to East Bay. How does it differentiate itself from any other team that you could follow across the globe, but there's a team right in your backyard that you could go and see at any point in time, any day. How does that resonate with, with the end fan that's in the East Bay? So making sure it's local, making sure that the team and its members get out into the community and establish those real relationships, not just, you know, community service things. They roll up for 30 minutes, they pop out the van, they take pictures, and then they drive away. It, it's got to be people that live in the community, that are a part of the community, that you see grocery shopping, uh, that know everything, the ins and outs of that entire area, uh, that have lived the experiences, that have gone out into the world and really seen it through their lens of being in the East Bay and come back and, and be able to translate that to the younger players of today. I think that's the only way that the town FC is really going to work is that it maintains its roots. It stays true to it. It brings people back who were from the community who may have experiences el elsewhere, but know what it means to grow up there. And that uh, people from the team, from the organization are entrenched in the, the day to day and they don't fly in for, for the game and then leave or, or, you know, they do their photo op and then, and then pop it back in the van and head to, you know, where they live in, in some other town, you know, three towns over, I think that's going to be uh, really important. So it's seeing your favorite player on the field, but then also seeing them, you know, just shooting hoops on their off day or walking their kid around the park at the same time. I think that's going to be one really authentic. And then two, from a branding perspective, how do you capture the essence of that community, right? How do you uh, demonstrate that in a visual way what it means to be a part of that community. And there are little small touches in what you do from a design and marketing perspective that I find are, I call them little Easter eggs that if you weren't from there, you would probably gloss over it and you wouldn't know. But if you're from there, you know exactly what those things are. And those are things that you hold dear that will, will deepen your relationship with the team and the, and the brand ultimately. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely taking notes right now. Um, <laughs> so one thing that that really stood out um with that was you know making sure that you know you're 10 toes down in the community not just like you said popping out the van taking pictures and hopping back in right but yeah. actually entrenching yourself and becoming a part of the community um so that's one thing that that i kind of took away from that that i feel like we could potentially do very well um so i'm definitely looking forward to um getting my hands dirty on uh on the community side as well. Um, but let's, let's jump back into, uh, your career a little bit. Um, so you're currently head of marketing at Todd Snyder. Um, talk about your role there and like, what's your day to day? Yeah. So I uh, was lucky enough to join the Todd Snyder team back in October of last year, 2021. Um, and as head of marketing, I oversee pretty much all the marketing that comes out of the brand that, that ends up in front of the consumer. So that's, Things from email to the website uh, to what our store experience looks like, how we talk about those things, to all of our social handles, to how we show up in press, to how we foster that relationship with our customers in that one-to-one -one personalized manner. 
how does all that come together? It's easy to do those things in silos. It's easy to have people focus on just one bit. Um, but when that happens, you find a lot of times brands are disjointed where what they talk about in email is different than how their store looks is, is different than, uh, you know, who their influencers are that they're using in social. So really having that customer centric mindset of if I was a customer and I would interact with this brand in every single channel, what would, what would I feel? And if I do feel anything differently by channel, is that by design? Or is that an accident? Or how do we make sure that what we stand for as a brand is as consistent as possible? And that doesn't mean you have to show the same product or the same campaign in every channel, but how do you make sure it ladders up to that bigger brand vision? And then like we were talking about, how do you create that emotional connection with the customer, right? So if they have that one favorite product, how do you make sure that they feel that, that they know it's there, that there are other products that could go along with that, that if for whatever reason, you know, they wear that product out because they wear that jacket every day uh, that we got you, we'll either fix it or, or we'll help you find the next iteration of that jacket that is still your lovable favorite jacket, but we made some tweaks to make it even better. So as head of marketing at Todd Snyder, it's, it's a really fun day-to-day -day challenge of making sure that we show up for the consumer in the way that's most personal and authentic to them. And we have such a wide customer base, base both by age and, and every demographic possible, um, that it's great that we have something for everyone and just making sure that we, we allow that customer to, to find that emotional connection with as many products as possible. Yeah, no doubt. You made some, uh, some really good points about um, making sure that your brand is cohesive across channels. Um, and I know with the various social media channels, they're all kind of used different ways. Um, what are some best practices that you have for like a brand, like a new brand? We'll use the town of C again as an example. Um, they're kind of navigating these different channels. So like from Twitter to TikTok to Instagram, like they all, they're all used differently. Um, what are some best practices that you have for that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's one really important to state your values and your mission at the beginning, right? And I think the town of C does a great job of that. It's very clear what you guys want to try and do and how you want to try to go about doing that, building a community from the grassroots all the way up and making sure that it's rooted in the community of the East Bay and Oakland to start with, right? And while you may bring, out, uh, bring in a lot of heavy hitters that have a lot of expertise, the core of who's driving the vision and mission for the brand are all all have those ties to, to the East Bank, to Oakland. So I think that's that's really important. So sharing that mission and vision and being true to it above all else, that means foregoing money, that means foregoing something super splashy or bringing in a, a big personality to help to help, you know, further the brand. If they don't maintain true to that that mission and that vision, then those are where the hard decisions get made and where a lot of brands either fall down when they get too big or fail to get off the ground because they're just looking for the quickest win to get them that next step to keep growing. Whereas the brands that stay true to their, their mission and vision and values that they establish very early on and very infrequently tweak um, is the, the biggest, most important thing. Um, I'd say then how do you differentiate that by channel? You know, every every channel is different and has their pros and their cons, right? Instagram, 
you can, you know, you have your built-in user base, you know, it skews slightly a little bit older, but you know, you can do a great job storytelling where TikTok is made maybe for a little bit more fast consumption, endless scrolling, wanting to get as much content in front of a, a customer or fan as possible. How do you balance that out with, you know, something, a channel like a YouTube where you might do a 90 second game recap where you get people coming back to that channel after every game to look at it if they weren't able to attend for, for whatever reason. So there's a mix, there's a pro, there's a con to, to every channel. You find the best or most relevant thing that resonates for that channel for your, for your fans. And then you kind of go from there and you build that equity and you build that brand based on that, that mission, vision, and your core company, or in this, in this case, team values that should translate to the front office all the way down to the team, all the way down to, you know, the, uh, the concession staff, making sure that everyone's aligned on what those values are is, is really important because that is your brand, right? Your brand are the people that are talking to your fans, not just on the field, but in the stands. So how do you make sure that that comes through in spades in every, in every customer touch point? Now, nah, this is good stuff right here. This is free game people. Definitely make sure you have your pen and paper out for sure. Um, so let's start go back into Todd Snyder real quick. They're known for um, doing a lot of collaborations. Um, so what has been one of your favorite collaborations to date? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, the thing that really brought me into the brand um, and how I first got exposed to Todd Snyder um, were two. One, the Jack Purcell uh, campaign that the tagline was, you don't know Jack, and it really dimensionalized all the different people that would wear Jack Purcell. This was probably from maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, but they had, uh, the team had created an awesome few 30 second spots that dimensionalized different athletes that were in Jack Purcell. So there was a fencer, there was a basketball player, uh, there was a, DJ Clark Kent was in the campaign as well. So it really covered a lot of bases for me that it felt like a campaign that I almost, could see it was very reminiscent of Nike, but it was very fashion forward and it had all these really interesting personalities in it. And I was like, yeah, I think I could rock with that brand. If they're able to get all these different types of people into the same campaign and it feels cohesive and it feels like something I could rock with, then I'm down for that. And then I think the other one, um, which is probably a little bit more visible to most people is the L.L. Bean campaign. Um, so we've done a, a, a few different iterations of collaboration with L.L. Bean. Uh, but how you take, uh, you know, a heritage brand that's more outdoorsy like L.L. Bean and how do you make it more of a streetwear staple where you see people in the city walking around with it and you don't know whether they're just coming back from a fishing trip or whether they're going out to the bar for the night. I think for me, that was a cool juxtaposition that I hadn't necessarily really been exposed to. I know Todd himself has been in the collab game for a super long time and this is old hat for him. But for me, especially, you know, with my, my meta kind of focus on, I really hadn't been exposed to that uh, for a while. So it was one refreshing to see. And two, I almost immediately was like, okay, I want that, that hoodie. I want that sweatshirt and I want that tee. And for me, it's really any place I would work from an apparel perspective, I would have to be able to see myself in the clothes um, because the discounts are important, you know? Um, so for me, that was a really important, um, important way for me to be exposed to the brand. And that's really how we use these collabs to acquire new customers and open 
new audiences to the brand through doing something that people aren't used to seeing two brands come together like that. That's dope, dope. Now there's been some some really cool collaborations. We're gonna go back to the soccer game for a second, talking about clubs as brands for a little bit. Um, so you think about like PSG and Jordan or um, the stuff that Arsenal has done with um, with a couple of independent brands, Stella McCarthy. Um, you think about uh, like what Juventus did a few years back with Palace. Um, you, you see more and more sportswear brands or sports brands like legacy sports teams um, doing collaborations yeah. with fashion houses and with uh, with streetwear brands. Um, how do you see more? Do you see this as like a an ongoing thing or more of a one off? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm a Tottenham fan, so we'll leave the Arsenal thing out for a hot second. Yeah, I know, I know. Come Tell on, me about man. it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will cover the the PSG collab because I was there when when they were starting to talk about that at Nike, um, mm-hmm. and it was definitely a few years in the making. I think if you think about the Nike tie to France and the different courts that they have there, the next iteration was to then go to PSG because of the sportswear aspect and the strong sports culture in Paris itself. Um, So I think it's really interesting how you can take a legacy established brand, really that's what it is, and a soccer team, but a brand first, uh, like PSG, and really start to entrench it in what the fans are wearing. I think it's a really smart thing because you know, we're fans, we're customers, and we're not mutually exclusive. And I say we because we're all fans and we're all customers, right. um, even as marketers, right? We're, we're fans and customers first, marketers second. Um, so it only made sense at some point in time for a marketer to say, hey, I really like their, that sportswear. If we could only get the PSG logo on that, that would be sick, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how does that happen? And I think it's just the beginning. I think soccer in particular has really been leading the way there right it's the first of many sports teams to try and crack that nut but i think the fan base is so entrenched there and it's so relevant in people's day-to-day lives right we equate soccer to football really in america in terms of the passion Um, but soccer everywhere has that passionate customer that really if they could they'd rep their team all the time so finding the right items to then have that crossover just makes even more sense for, for the consumer. Oh, yeah, that was, I was actually about to be my next question about how, um, you know, clubs can build strong apparel brands. You know, you, you're seeing this this trend um, of mixing streetwear and, you know, sportswear together. Um, like, where do you, where do you kind of see that trending in the next few years, especially coming up on like a World Cup year, do you start? Do you do you envision more of that? And also, B a B to that is, since you're a Tottenham fan, mm-hmm. what would be your dream collab for Tottenham? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I'll answer your first one. I think we're only really honestly scratching the surface. Um, I think brands rightfully so have been very protective of who they would align themselves with and who they would work with. And I think, uh, you know, Todd Snyder is really leading the way in a lot of breaking down of those barriers with the collaborations that are coming. I think 
selfishly for our brand, there are a few things that I can't really talk about now, but that will be coming out at the end of this year that will only further the conversation that we're having about, you know, crossover between brands and, and, and sport. Um, so I think it's here to stay a hundred percent. Um, I think if anything, sports teams are going to have the upper hand and brands are obviously knocking down on their doors right now because they have such fervent fan bases, mm-hmm. they know pretty much anything you're allowed to put a logo on, uh, you know, will resonate. And if it happens to be an item that they wear, that they love, and they can rep their team at the same time, I think as a marketer, that's like Nirvana. That's the thing that you want. If, if there are people that can take what they're wearing and rep their team and do that on a frequent basis as the kits change, as the brands and logos and crest changes, as their team does better um, in, in the sporting arena, I think we're only going to see more and more of that. Um, and that's that's going to be really exciting because there's going to be some really cool unlocks um, that are going to be different than, than what we're accustomed to seeing on and off the field. Um, as a Tottenham fan, uh, is a really good question. I think for me, it'll be interesting. I think I got my wish when uh, Nike started outfitting the kits for Tottenham. So that that was my one big thing. Um, I do think there will be some interesting crossover that I'm looking forward to seeing closer to the PSG side of more streetwear for Tottenham. I'm just not as hooked into the London streetwear scene. So I'm really excited and interested to see what comes out and if they truly stay authentic to their fan base in London and making product that resonates with them as opposed to maybe something that's a little bit more quote unquote fashion forward, but that they maintain their fan base uh, interest and and create some products that are really compelling and interesting for them. I know we've been in a lot of conversations of trying to find that right mix Mm -hmm. uh, in working with various sports teams to, to make it fan authentic, but also fashion forward. All right. So I'm going to stay on that one for a second. So Say, for example, you're head of, you know, marketing, brand collaboration strategy for Tottenham, right? And their, mm-hmm. their, their merch department. What brand would you put them with? What brand would you collaborate with? Oh, that's a good question. It would have to be a London-based brand. Uh, I think for me, the interesting thing might be going a, a more fancier route if you think about um, suiting if you were to take a, a Savile Row brand and partner with uh, similar to kind of what Hugo Boss has done with Tottenham for their for their away suits mm-hmm. and their travel suiting but how do you do something that's more like track suit like that is of that same Savile Row tailoring uh, that would be a really interesting collab for me okay okay one interesting thing that I saw, this is like in um, Italy. I forget what team it is. Is it Napoli? One of those teams has like an Armani. Um, yes. Armani does their kits. Yeah. So it's like crossing over the high high fashion into like legit sporting wear. You know, I forget what team it is. Yeah. I can't think of it right now. I feel like it's Napoli. It may be. I may be wrong. <laughs> I think you're right. I feel like I feel like I can see the colors. I just can't. I, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna let you know for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was super dope as well. And like also looking at what um like Ven- Venetia is doing, um, with their their work with uh with Kappa, um you know going like legit high fashion with the way that their kits look. Um, yeah. 
I think that's that's done wonders for them, you know, as a small club, um, you know, starting to raise their profile a lot more and like kind of giving them clout in the kit game. Um, yeah. So very yeah, interesting. Even to if see. you think about five or 10 years ago, you wouldn't see these high fashion brands clamoring to outfit, you know, the first team players just to get off the bus and walk to the game. Right. Right. So I think that that speaks to more and more of that imminent fashion crossover uh, because you're seeing more and more players become fashion conscious. They become the face of a lot of these brands uh, that are high fashion brands. So I think once you start to see that happening, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before that permeates through the rest of the sporting world. Not a hundred percent. So looking ahead to 2026, we have a world cup coming up. So you're about to see a ton of new soccer teams popping up. You're already starting to see it now. Um, what are some tips that these clubs as brands can employ to ensure that they have a successful launch? Yeah, I think as more and more soccer club brands come on, you're going to have to find increasingly different ways to differentiate your brand. So one, I think that starts with the crest itself. How The crest is, is your logo for all intents and purposes, right? So how do you, how do you have that crest represent everything your club stands for in a visual way that as soon as someone saw it, you'd say, I know exactly what this club is about. So at one, I think the crest is, is super important. Um, I think the branding of the kits and I think what Adidas is doing, what Nike's doing now more and more, particularly in the NBA is their third jerseys, third jerseys, they're calling the city editions that are really relevant to the city. So I'd love to start to see that more in the EPL or in Serie A where they have city editions of the kits that aren't just generic color splotches or, you know, fluorescent colors of what the existing kits are, but they truly are a little bit more uh, city centric. So I think those are two really interesting ways that you could start to differentiate your brand. And then I think it comes down to the merchandising and apparel, right? How do you create really interesting um, eclectic limited edition pieces that get people, you know, in the know who want to rep their brand in a really different way and you don't sell tons and tons of them. I think it's a way to keep people interested. It's a good way to keep uh, merchandising sales healthy, but it's a good way to also build the brand to continuously iterate. Uh, I love watching EPL games on TV and seeing people with jerseys from 30 years ago that demonstrate, you know, how long they've been supporting the brand and you can see the different fashion. And I think that's a really awesome way to support and show how long you've been in love with your team. Um, and thinking of how do you bring those retro styles back into a team's locker is, is really important. Uh, uh, definitely. Um, I'm definitely excited to see what we cook up on, you know, the town FC side. Um, so as we wrap things up, um, you know, you're a member of the town council. Um, so, you know, you, yes. have some, you have some, I want to say, emotional investment in this project. I do. Um, yeah. What impacts are you looking forward to making through the town FC? Yeah, I think the thing that brought me to the town FC was the ability to build a grassroots club from the ground up. And I think for me, playing club soccer and travel soccer in my hometown was, as we talked about, the thing that got me to, one, experience the world, and two, really instill a lot of the values that 
allowed me to get recruited to play D1, but also has allowed me to be relatively successful so far in my business career. So providing as many kids the opportunity to one, get on the field of play, two, to build that teamwork and that camaraderie needed to be successful in life in general and give them exposure to experiences that they might not have the opportunity to see otherwise through sport. I think for me, it was really important. And the the mission that, that you and Benno and the rest of the team and the town council are putting together is, is really important. And I think one, it was really refreshing. And two, it's not very common nowadays. Everyone's just trying to figure out the way to make the fastest, quickest buck. Uh, but the way the town FC and the town council are going about building this team um, is really the, the most authentic and right way to do that and best represent East Bay and the Oakland area. That's our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at the town underscore FC. Stay up to date on important news around the club by signing up for our Town Chronicles newsletter at thetownfc.com. And as always, tweet us your comments on the show, any topics you want us to discuss, and more. Peace out. <laughs>